0: of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. you and welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman here at the XML Financial Group. So glad you could tune in today. Let's go ahead and just jump right into it because Warren Buffett's company, that's Berkshire Hathaway, I buy the B shares. So it's symbol BRKB. Berkshire Hathaway, well, they released their earnings over the weekend. The only company I know that ever releases their earnings on a Saturday, but whatever. Revenues were up over 21%, while their expenses were down by about a half percent. Isn't that what you really want? Revenues going up, expenses going down? That is what you want. Insurance revenues were up over 20%. The railroad, utilities, energy segment, their revenues were up over 28%. All told, earnings per share came in at 293, which is about 30 to 35 cents more. Than what all the analysts were predicting they would be. So very solid quarter for Berkshire Hathaway. And for those of you who don't know, Berkshire is my largest position and that of many of my clients. Berkshire is a conglomerate. Okay. So they own outright numerous types of businesses: things like Geico, Seas Candies, Burlington Northern Railroad, and they hold multi billion dollar stakes in publicly traded companies, too, like Apple, Coke, Kraft, a whole bunch of others. So, given the scale and the breadth of Berkshire's operations, which again range from insurance and energy to manufacturing and retail, I think their earnings give us a valuable glimpse at the health of the U.S. economy. So, beneath those headline numbers, those earnings per share, if you dig down into The earnings release, I think there are a number of takeaways that we can look at here, find out a little bit more about what's going on. And when I get started reading this stuff, especially with Berkshire Hathaway, my first question is, is always, what are they doing in their portfolio, their stock portfolio, right? Because I'm always looking for good ideas. And who better to get them from than Warren Buffett? So I'm always wondering, what's going on in the portfolio? What are they buying? What are they selling? When you talk about Berkshire Everyone thinks about Warren Buffett, but keep in mind you have two other talented people managing portions of the portfolio, and that's Todd Combs and Ted Wechsler. So just see, so you see a big move in one stock or another, may not be Warren Buffett. Just keep that in mind. So for the quarter, we saw that, well, Berkshire bought a billion dollars worth of stock, but they also sold over $2 billion worth of the stock. So what that really means is that they reduced their allocation to stock by more than a billion dollars. And that's on the back of $4 billion worth of sales last quarter. And then the quarter before that, or actually last year, 2020, they sold $9 billion worth of stock. So if you sit down and you add all this up, you're going to realize that Berkshire has sold about $14 billion worth of stock over the last year and a half. They sold things like JP Morgan, symbol JPM, Goldman Sachs, symbol GS, which I love, all the airlines, and a few others. A few other. What, I, what this suggests now is that five stocks that, they, that he holds, that they own, five stocks now account for about 75% of his stock portfolio and that stock portfolio is worth about 300 billion dollars give or take a few billion on any given day i also noticed from the filing that his cost basis in the commercial and, and industrial segment his cost basis went down by 10% and what that means is that they sold something and they could have sold more chevron symbol CVX because he sold half of it last quarter they could have sold more chevron here I like Chevron. Or maybe they trim their pharma holdings or even GM during the quarter. Who knows? We'll find out in, in time. But with all these sales, he's also buying something. And what he's buying is his own stock. They spent six billion dollars repurchasing shares uh last quarter. Six billion dollars. Yeah, that's less than the 6.6 billion they spent the quarter before. And the 9 billion The two quarters before that, and that kind of makes sense, right? The stock has been going up. Stock went up 9% last quarter, 12% before that. So you have a rising stock price. Well, makes it look like less of a bargain. It's less of a bargain now than it was six months ago. So they've slowed their purchases down. Still, over the last year and a half, Berkshire's bought back about $37 billion in stock. $37 billion in their own stock, which is way more than what they've bought over the last several years. And it appears to me that they're continuing to do it. I think they've spent another $1.7 billion, let's just call it almost $2 billion since the quarter ended. And I get that because I looked at the decline in the outstanding shares. And again, that suggests that they're spending about $2 billion every month buying back their shares or $6 a quarter. That's faith in your own stock, right? So they're selling a whole bunch of public equities. So clearly they're becoming more cautious on the market, or they're having trouble finding bargains that they can recycle that money back into because, yeah, let's face it, valuations. Or they're a bit of both. Maybe they're more cautious and they can't find stocks. But they do like their own stock, though. You know, for more than a decade, Berkshire has told their shareholders that he wouldn't buy back stock if it took his cash hoard down below $20, million, uh, $20 billion. I don't think anybody feels comfortable with less than $20 billion of cash on hand, right? I know I don't. Anyhow, he raised that to $30 billion in this last earnings report. But I think that still understates what he really what he really likes in cash. Back in May at the annual shareholders meeting, he said that they had about 70 to 80 billion dollars in cash that he'd love to put to work if he could find the right thing. He'd love to put 70 to 80 billion dollars to work. And at that time, he had about 140. So what that really says to me is that he'd really like to have 60 or 70 billion dollars lying around, stuffed in the mattress for a rainy day for what ifs. A couple other things before we move on. As I said, earnings were strong. And it's just further confirmation that the economy did well in the first half of this year. The building group's product was up almost 30% because of home construction. People need the bricks. They need to paint the carpet. Berkshire can sell it to them. And if you're going to build it, well, then you got to sell them too, right? You got to sell the houses. And they are. The real estate division, well, they saw their revenue jump 48%. Question is, should you buy it? Should you buy Berkshire? It's a good question. Berkshire to me, again, I buy the B-share, so it's B-R-K-B. Got to do your own research, make sure it's appropriate for you. Berkshire is a core core holding to me. It's a stock I want to own forever. I don't worry too much about it from from day to day. I read all the reports, read all the quarterly filings, the annual reports, I crunch the numbers, but I don't worry too much about it. Again, stock I want to own forever. That's a core holding. So if I didn't own it, I would buy half at almost any price because it's such a great company and my holding period is indefinite. I mean, it's, for, it's just so long buying it for a couple of dollars more today, isn't really going to make much difference over a 30, 40 year holding period. So I buy half at almost any price. Then outside of that, my buy price is based off their book value. And we'll go into all this another day, but PEs really don't matter for uh, Berkshire. You look at book value. Book value is basically what they have. You add it all up and you minus take away whatever they owe then you have book value. I'm a buyer under 1.3 times book value. And Warren Buffett said this is probably a good price too. I'm a buyer at 1. Point, uh, under 1.3 times book value and in cor- according to Refinitiv book value right now is about 215 a share. So it's simple math. 1.3 times of book value. And that gets me to a stock price of about $280. Right now the stock is, as I speak, $287. So it's a close call here. Maybe you can, maybe, maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. It's up to you. Again, do your own research. Make sure it's appropriate for you. I always have thought of Berkshire as the one stock everyone should own, but that's just me. Let's do a quick take on the overall market. As I've been saying the last few weeks, market looks rather pricey, especially to someone as cheap as I am. The S&P 500 is trading more than two standard deviations above the long-term average. Folks, that ain't cheap. 30 times trailing earnings, 21 times expected earnings. While stocks are expensive, they are redeemed by the strong showing in earnings and sales growth that we've seen over the second quor- this second quarter last reporting period. I-, I tell you, earnings have truly been spectacular. They're up nearly twenty percent, which is up nearly two standard deviations above the long-term average. Kind of stuck on that two standard deviation thing, but earnings are up nearly twenty percent. Amazing. If you look at it year over year, earnings are actually up 90% since the second quarter of 2020. But that doesn't really tell you much since we're all locked in our homes. If you skip back to 2019 measure from there, earnings are up 22% over the last couple of years or about 11% per year. That sounds more reasonable. And I think that gives us a better picture of things. So, to summarize, stocks are expensive, but earnings are going to be a tailwind and help the market grow into its big valuation shoes. I think it's very possible we have a pullback. Who knows? We haven't had a five percent reset in almost two hundred days since uh, since November. I don't think we we have to have a drastic reset. I don't think we're going to have a drastic reset, but you know what? 5% would be good. Remember, it's the market volatility that gives you the long-term opportunities. If you see a good company that you think is selling for less than what it's worth, well, you may want to think about adding it to your portfolio. Don't try and time the market, I guess is what my, my real point here is. Don't try and time the market. After more than 20 years of managing money, I have yet to see a short-term trading strategy that actually works. I simply don't think that there's a way you can accurately and consistently determine the short-term movements of of the market. And I think that the academic research bears that out. I think it's best to be invested in the market that is Invested in value stocks that offer the highest potential returns rather than playing that timing game, right? Find great companies, buy them inexpensive. Don't try and time what you think the market's going to do. You know, Peter Lynch, name may sound familiar, maybe not. Famous money manager, ran Fidelity Fund, ran a fund at Fidelity. Peter Lynch, I mean, just amazing long term returns. But he calculated that more than half of the investors in his fund actually lost money. That's according to Peter Lynch. And that happened because the money would flow in after a couple of really good quarters and then flow out after a couple of not so good quarters. People trying to time the market, get in while it's hot, you know, what have you. They're basically buying high, selling low. Nobel prize winner William Sharpe, he found that a market timer had to be right 82% of the time to match a buy and hold type of return. And there's other research that tells us the risk of market timing is nearly twice as great as the potential rewards. So, the reality, the reality is that most market returns come from short periods of time, during short periods of time and you don't know when those are coming. So I think it's best to be invested for the long haul. Now, that doesn't mean that you buy something and forget it. Again, I think you buy high-quality businesses when you think that you're getting a good deal, and when the market is in in, uh, an excited state, and they're willing to pay you more than what the business is worth, well, then you might want to sell it to them. If you're looking for a place to invest now from a valuation perspective, I would look at things like the telecoms because they're trading about 11 times forward earnings. You have Verizon, AT&T, a um, couple of good choices there. Healthcare, healthcare is trading about 17 times earnings and I'm talking as a group here. Healthcare, we like UNH, we like Unum, especially Unum now, UNM people are going back to work. People are going to sign sign up for more benefits. That's exactly what Unum does. We like the energies, the financials. As I said earlier, I like Goldman Sachs. Those groups are trading, the energy and the financials are both trading about, as a group, about 14 times earnings. I mentioned a few weeks ago, in this type of market, focusing in on dividends is not a bad strategy here. In all these sectors that I just mentioned, the the telecoms, the healthcare, energy, the financials. Well, these types of businesses usually pay decent dividends. So I'd take a look at them. Okay. That's all we have time for today. It's August. So get out there, enjoy the last month of summer. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow them. I'm Eric Whitman. This has been Composites Investing. opinions expressed during this podcast are those of the hosts and may not necessarily be those of XML Financial Group. Information provided should not be construed as personalized investment advice or a solicitation to buy or sell any security or engage in a particular investment strategy. You should consult your personal financial advisor before investing to make sure an investment is appropriate for your situation. Furthermore, this information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax or legal advice. We suggest that you discuss your specific situation. Situation with a qualified tax or legal advisor, investing strategies such as asset allocation, diversification, or rebalancing do not assure or guarantee better performance and cannot eliminate the risk of investment losses. There are no guarantees that a portfolio employing these or any other strategy will outperform a portfolio that does not engage in such strategies. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.